Welcome back, listeners. It's finally here. Opening day for the Atlanta Braves. I'm absolutely stoked, and I'm sure that you are too. This episode, we're going to talk about an off-season overview of the Atlanta Braves because it's perfect timing. The season's about to start, and we can have a look over at what they did and some thoughts on how it was done and different players to look at and things like that. It's going to be a lot of fun. As always, don't forget to go on Apple or wherever you get your podcast, leave a five-star review, and let your friends know about this podcast. It's been growing quite a bit, so thank you so much. I couldn't do this without you. Let's get started. Welcome back, everyone. I'm super excited. I mean, it seems like it's been forever since we've had baseball, at least a an official MLB game that wasn't spring training or something like that. Of course, like I've been saying, there's all types of baseball, college baseball, high school baseball. So when people said, oh, I hope baseball comes back, of course, there's always baseball. Baseball is a sport we love, but Major League Baseball is at the highest level. But anyways, the Atlanta Braves. They made a ton of moves, a flurry of moves in the offseason, as I'm sure most of us are aware. But we're going to go over those and kind of break them down and get some thoughts. It was really fun because that's one of the most fun things for me about a team that's winning or in a competitive window is you have a higher probability of an insane or really fun offseason and trade deadline. Because when you have a team like the Orioles or the Pirates, or the A's, yeah, you might see some moves, but they're not necessarily going to be ones you're super excited about, even though they're better for the team when you're selling. And then if you're a middle-of-the-run team, then you have the chance of really nothing happening at all in the offseason. And as a lot of us are, we really enjoy seeing not just games played in Major League Baseball, but also all the transactions and everything that comes along with it. And so it feels like when, when your team is right there in the middle and they're not making a lot of moves, it feels like you're really only getting half of the fun. And it really you know stinks when you're in that po- point of your team's rebuild or whatever. But fortunately for the Braves, that's just not the case. And they've made arguably the most or uh, biggest moves in the offseason. And so it was a lot of fun, and we're going to break those down. What I'm going to do is I'll just go ahead and give a list of all the key ads or main ads that the Braves made and the key losses that they had just as a refresher because maybe we forgot some of them as, you know, we had the lockout. And so it was basically months of not having transactions. So we might have forgot that the Braves added some people. For example, how many people remember that the Braves signed Kirby Yates? You know, things like that. And I'll go along and I'll, I'll give some notes about them. And then I'll point out some key statistics of players that maybe you didn't know about since they're new to the team. So, key ads for the Atlanta Braves. Off-season. Obviously, we know about Matt Olson. We've dug into his statistics already, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time on him. Kinley Jansen is on a one-year deal. 
That one was kind of a shocker. Most of us know that, but we'll talk about him a little bit later, some of his statistics and how he's done in the past. Alex Dickerson, probably my favorite signing, and what I mean by that is how in the world did Alex Anthopoulos get Alex Dickerson on a minor league contract? How did that happen? You mean you got a guy with that much potential for that little money with no guarantee of having to pay him if it doesn't work out? Absolutely insane. You probably all know that Eddie Rosario re-signed. He signed through the year 2023 with a team option for 2024. Orlando Arcia, the Braves, re-signed through 2023 as well with a team option for 2024. Colin McHugh was signed by the Braves through 2023 with a team option for 24. Kirby Yates is injured, but will be back at the second half of the season. And he's signed through 2023 with a team option for 2024. Manny Pena, backup catcher, one of the best defensive catchers in the league, signed through 2023 with a team option for 2024. Pat Vileka, minors contract. Brock Holt was added as a minor league contract, but then granted his release. Phil Gosselin, minors contract. And Nick Vincent, Miners contract. Nick Vincent's an interesting one, and we'll talk about him a little bit later. The key losses. The obvious one, Freddie Freeman. Johan Camargo, who hasn't played really a big part in a few years, but did have an excellent 2018. They did not offer him a contract, and he signed with the Phillies. Richard Rodriguez, I talked about it in the past, and so my article isn't on the podcast, kind of knew that he was probably using sticky stuff, and as we saw, his numbers cratered after the Braves got him. He did okay for the first few outings, but then after that, he didn't even make the postseason roster. So it's pretty safe to say, and we knew this was coming, that the Braves did not offer him a contract. It does kind of stink because the Braves gave up Bryce Wilson for him, but Bryce Wilson probably wasn't going to be a key contributor to this team anyways. Jorge Soler... Signed in Miami. Jock Peterson signed in San Francisco. Juice Smiley signed with the Cubs. Chris Martin also signed with the Cubs. And he was a key contributor, you know, past few years. Last year, it was pretty evident that he also was using sticky stuff as his spin rates cratered, his performance cratered. And uh, that's probably why the Braves went ahead and did not offer him a contract. A. Ray Adrianza signed with the Nationals. Stephen Vogt, who I'm surprised is still in the league, signed with Oakland, probably a farewell tour, and probably the one I'm most sad about is Jesse Chavez, signed with the Cubs. Absolutely fun to have him perform as well as he did. On a, coming from a minor league contract, after the Nationals cut him last year, Brace picked him up on a minor league contract. He ended up being a key contributor to a team that won the World Series. As no shock to anyone, the Braves also did not offer Josh Tomlin a contract. Yasiel De La Cruz, they did not offer him a contract, or Edgar Santana. So those are the players that the Braves lost. Not many of them are shockers, other than I'm sure a lot of fans probably were shocked by Freddie Freeman signing in L.A. As I said, we won't get into it, but we knew that it was never a 100% possibility that he was coming back. One big trend that you may have noticed is that 
the Braves obviously are trying to continue to win this year, next year, and 2024. As you saw the trend there that almost all the contracts were through 2023 with a team option for 2024. Team option meaning the player really has no say if the contract gets tendered, but the team does. So if the player performs well through 2022 and 2023, the Braves have the option to keep the player. If they underperform in 2022 or 2023, the Braves can let the player go and not be responsible for that contract. That was a very smart move by Alex Anthopoulos, and it's a very common trend as we saw. There was a total of five players signed like that, and the only major league contract that was not signed that way was the Kinley Jansen signing. All the other major league signings were through 2023 with a team option to 2024. So what are some of the signings that stick out? First, let's talk about Kenley Jansen. This one's going to be interesting, and there's a reason it was only a one-year contract, even though it was for $16 million. Up to 2017, Kenley Jansen had been one of the most dominant relievers in the league. In fact, his ERA plus was 173, which means he was 73% above league average at preventing runs. He only gave up 0.8 home runs per nine innings, and his strikeout-to-walk ratio was insane. For every walk that he gave, he struck out 5.76, right? Those are the kind of things we want to look at. Sure, he had a lot of saves, but he also had a lot of save opportunities. His ERA was 2.2 through the, all the way from 2010 to 2018, which is insane for a reliever. He was one of the top in the league. Now, ERA can be have variables that come along with it, defense, parks that you play in, all that. So that's what we're looking at, ERA+. And his FIP is 2.12, which followed really closely to his ERA. His strikeout walk ratio was insanely good. However, that changed here recently. From 2018 to 2020, his numbers really dropped off. His ERA plus was a 122, which is still 22% above league average, but I would not call that shutdown. His fielding independent pitching, which tries to take away from things like bad defense and stuff, was 3.66, which is a point and a half higher than his career. His ERA was, you know, 3.34, which not terrible for it, but for a closer, not fantastic. His strikeout walk ratio dropped by a whole point at 4.64 so he's still striking out quite a few people at 11 per nine innings but he's not having the same success as he had had still a good pitcher by all means a good pitcher but not the same Kenley Jansen that some of us might have remembered from the past the good thing though is his recent season he had 69 games which 2021 so he pitched a full season he finished 52 of those games, what I mean by that is he came in as the closer. And he only gave up four home runs in 69 innings. Now that is that was his Achilles heel for a while. He was giving up quite a few home runs in the past few years. And that's why you saw things like his ERA and his FIP and stuff skyrocket. But, and you know, his ERA plus was 185, which is not what it was back from 2010 to 2017, well, his average was 173, but 
he did have seasons with like a 219, a 190, and things like that. So this was, from an ERA standpoint, his fifth best year with a 185 ERA plus. But there are some other issues that point to possibly not doing as well. For example, his strikeout to walk ratio is the lowest it's ever been. His strikeouts per nine are still at 11.2, which is solid, but he's walking more than he ever has since 2011 was the last time he gave up. Actually, he gave up more in 2021 than he did in 2011. This is the most walks he was giving up per nine innings in his career, except for 2010 when he only had 25 games. So his career average strikeout to walk ratio is 5.01, and last year it was 2.39. So he's only striking out 2.39 batters for every batter that he walked. His whip, though, is still solid at 1.043, his walks plus hits inning pitched. So he's not terrible. I mean, he's, he's still a very solid reliever, and he still is preventing runs at a good clip. However, he's not a shutdown closer like he used to be. The good thing for the Braves, he doesn't need to be. The Braves have probably or arguably the best bullpen in the league, so Brian Snicker can use him at his strengths, maybe do some type of committee type of closer situation. That's what I would do. I don't know if Snicker's going to do that because he's still very old school. We saw that with Will Smith throughout the year. However, we saw in the World Series that he wasn't afraid to listen to his analytical team and match up pitchers to batters in a much better way. So if Snickers sticks with doing the thing that the analytics team suggests, which would be a committee-type scenario, then we might see some extreme success with Kenley Jansen. If he's the only closer and always the closer, we're not going to get the performance that we're used to seeing with Kenley Jansen prior to the 2019 season. Next guy I want to talk about is Alex Dickerson. On a minor league contract, are you kidding me? Of course, he had a bad year last year, batting 5% below league average at 95 OPS+. plus. But that's better than guys like Orlando Arcia, A-Ray Adrianza, all those backup guys that the Braves had last year. The good thing, though, is he has high potential. In 2019, for the Giants, of course, there's only part of the season because previous to that he was on the Padres but still he hit at a 130 OPS plus clip 30% above league average and then in another of course short sample size in the 2020 season he absolutely dominated with an OPS plus of 156 which is 56% above league average again 52 games in a short sample size. However, that's insane that they were able to get him on a minor league contract. If he even goes back and touches what he did from 2019 and 2020, in 120 games, which is almost a full season, he hit 134 OPS plus between 2019 and 2020. So if he can go back and touch just part of that, we're looking at a season that was just as good from an overall hitting standpoint as Austin Riley had last year. Austin Riley had a 132 OPS plus. So offensively, from 2019 to 2020, Alex Dickerson's 
offensive profile was as good as Austin Riley's was last year. So the Braves got him on a minor league contract. If it doesn't work out, they can just cut ties. They don't owe him any money. This is the definition of a low-risk, high-reward scenario, and Alex Anthopoulos is an absolute genius for being able to pull this off. Alex Dickerson is the one guy that I'm really going to be keeping an eye on, especially the first month or so while we wait for Ronald Acuna to come back because he obviously is not as good as Ronald Acuna, but he sure is going to help that void a lot better than Almonte and Heredia did last year. Shoot, in fact, he could potentially be better than Jock Peterson was, so it'll be interesting to see. Another great signing is Colin McHugh. He's an interesting one because prior to 2018, he wasn't anything crazy good as far as MLB reliever standards go. He never had a season that really stuck out other than 2014 where he had a 141 ERA+. plus. However, at that point in his career, he was still a starter. He had 154 innings pitched, and then he started to go downhill a little bit as a starter and got converted to a reliever in 2017. He was still catching his footing at that point with the 115 ERA+, plus, but 2018 was insanely good. He had 11.7 strikeouts per nine innings. His strikeout-to-walk ratio was a 4.48. He only gave 0.7 home runs per nine innings, and his whip was below one. His FIP was 2.72, and his ERA plus was 209, so 109% better than league average. In 2019, did not fare as well. His ERA plus was right at league average, just below it, 99. He gave up way more hits. His strikeouts per nine dropped to 9.9, and his strikeout-to-walk ratio dipped way down to 2.73. He took 2020 off for the COVID-19 shortened season, as he was allowed to do so. But in 2021, in his short sample size of 37 games, was arguably a top five reliever in the game, which is why he got signed. He had an ERA plus of 256, that's right, 156% better than league average. His strikeout to walk ratio was 6.17, absolutely insane. We talked about Kenley Jansen, you know, with the 5.1 for his career, and this is a 6.17 last year for Colin McHugh. His ERA was insanely low obviously with his high ERA+, and his whip was 0.938. So if we're getting the 2021 Colin McHugh, this is going to be an insanely good Braves bullpen. Let's not forget about Kirby Yates either, one of the top relievers in the game for some time. He got injured early in the 2020 season, which is why we have not heard much about him lately. However, from 2017 to 2019, he had an ERA plus of 171. His strikeouts per nine were 13.9, and his strikeout to walk ratio was 5.69. This guy is absolutely elite when healthy. If you look at traditional stats, you'll see a win loss record of 9 and 13 because he played for bad teams. So, you know, please, again, do not look at that when you're looking at pitchers, especially relief pitchers. But through 2017 through 2019, he did have a ton of time on the field at 180.1 innings pitched and continued to maintain these fantastic numbers. So the Braves even get, you know, a large fraction of what he did from 2017 and 2019 when he comes back at around August 
and they'll have next year. This is a huge get for the Braves. This bullpen is going to be, again, absolutely insane. I want to preserve your guys' time because I still want to talk about my predictions and stuff. And, you know, I like to keep my podcast between 30 and 40 minutes. So we're going to go take a break. But one thing I do want to say is go look up Nick Vincent. I think he will be an interesting signing okay you know i'm a fan of major league baseball trade rumors they have a really good article on nick vincent so go check him out if you have some time i think that's going to be a fun signing if he has you know it's a low risk high reward type of scenario not like alex dickerson but they're taking really no risk with him and he could potentially if he could he might be a, a contributor sometime soon so just go check out him i think it'd be a fun read for all of you also want to encourage you that you know I write for a bunch of different outlets. Go check out my article on Manny Pena to look at it. We don't have enough time for this podcast to really break him down, but you need to look at his defensive numbers, and you're going to know right away why the Braves signed him. It is an excellent signing, and uh, maybe we'll talk break him down a little bit more in a future episode, but if you have time, go check that out. You're going to be excited about Manny Pena. All right, welcome back from break. Let's get into different predictions of things like Braves MVP or wins and things like that. This is one of the most fun things to do before a season starts, and what a better time to do it than right now. So first, let's talk about who we think is going to be the X factor. And what I mean by that is last year we talked about how in my interview with, I believe it was John Hughes, we talked about, okay, who's the one person that could really make or break the season for the Braves although we know that one player cannot do that but what's the one person that really needs to turn things around or who has the most pressure on them to do well or whatever and we said Austin Riley because at that point he was the weak link in the offense and if he could turn things around then that would be huge for the Braves he went from a negative value player to an obviously positive value player and played a huge role in the Braves success last year so this year, I'm going a little bit different route with this one. And I'm going to say that the player with the, that is the X factor for the Braves is Ian Anderson. Because he needs to be, or they are hoping for him to be, a number three starter. Now, Ian Anderson has performed, for the most part, like a number three starter. However, his peripherals are not very good. He's been outperforming his peripherals. He had eight starts last year where he gave up at least four earned runs. But he also had games, tons of games where he gave up none. So he's a bit streaky um, because, you know, in the playoff, Ian Anderson, he's fantastic. When he's zoned in and all he's got to worry about is just the playoffs, he does just fine. But throughout the regular season, it's like he either loses focus or he gets tired because he hasn't pitched more than 130 innings ever. So a lot's going to be on Ian Anderson's shoulders to be a true number three starter. I would say from an offensive standpoint, the X factor is going to be Ozzy Albies to see if he can finally hit righties. What I mean by that is if you look at his numbers, we talked about it already in the optimized lineup episode last week. If he can finally hit righties, that's going to be huge for the offense. But the reason I'm going with Ian Anderson here is that the offense is already stacked. So 
Ozzie Albies not having a fantastic season against righties is really not going to make or break the Braves, whereas if Ian Anderson falls off hard, that's going to be terrible for the Braves, whereas if he takes a step forward, it's going to be massive for the Braves because even though the Braves have a solid rotation, it is kind of their weak spot if you had to pick one. All right, who's going to win the Braves MVP? I mean, how can you not pick Acuna if he's healthy, right? And then obviously Matt Olson would probably be second. Max Fried has a case, but typically MVPs are offensive players when they pick them. I disagree with that, but that's typically how it is. Comeback player of the year. It's going to be Acuna or Soroka. I mean, at least they're obvious choices here. Coming back from injury, that's typically what happens. Luke Jackson, it was reported that he had a UCL injury. He's on the 60-day IL. If he has Tommy John surgery, he's not going to come back at all. But if he does come back after the 60 days, he could make a case for it. And then Kirby Yates as well because... You know, he was, but he's been battling that injury since the start of 2020. So if he comes back and makes uh, instant impact, he could be that. Of course, with a comeback player of the year for the Braves, there is no official winner of this. This is kind of just, you know, speculation or, or hope. But for me, if I have to pick the one person that if I was to give an award to based on guessing what's going to happen I'm going to go with Soroka just because he was out for so long and he can come back and make a huge impact on that rotation as far as Braves Cy Young Max Freed seems like an easy answer but Charlie Morton had almost as good a season at preventing runs with actually he had better peripherals meaning that if he continued to pitch like he did and Max Freed continued to pitch like he did Charlie Morton has a probability of actually having a better season this year. And I'll show you what I mean. The one thing that Max Fried had over Charlie Morton is that people did not... The max, the hardest that people hit him was not as high. Max Fried was in the top 90%, meaning only 10% were better at preventing average exit velocity. However... Charlie Morton had, was in the top 10% of hard hit percentage. Well, top 90%, only 10% were better. And if you look at expected weighted on base average, you know, based on the peripherals, what the expected on base average against, I should say, Charlie Morton was only 25% of the league was better than him. But with Charlie Morton, Max Fried's top 75%, Charlie Morton, top 81%. Expected ERA, Max Fried. Only 25% of the league was better, but with Charlie Morton, only 19% of the league was better. Expecting batting average, expected batting average against Max Freed, 44, only 44% of the league was better. Charlie Morton, only 22% of the league was better. Expected slugging percentage, Char- Max Freed, only 30% of the league was better. And I say expected slugging percentage against Charlie Morton, only 24% was better. Barrel percent, that basically means contact against. Like when they hit the ball, they hit it on the barrel of the bat. Max Freed, only 18, 28% of the league was better. Charlie Morton, only 10% of the league was better. So as you can see, Charlie is getting older. 
but I'm going to pick Charlie Morton here. Of course, a lot of this is going to depend on if he truly is recovered from his injury. Thank goodness he's going to be here for the start of the season. It's really going to depend on, you know, if he was truly recovered. But based on the peripherals, I'm going to go ahead and predict that Charlie Morton does have a better year than Max Fried. That's not saying Max Fried's going to have a bad year by any means. I mean, look at those peripherals. All those are fantastic. But what I'm saying is Charlie Morton potentially... I think is going to have a better year. Braves Rookie of the Year. As with most World Series winning teams, the Braves do not project to have many key contributors that are rookies. With the signing of Pena, it all but guarantees there don't appear to be any key contributors as far as rookies go in the offensive side. Contreras has taken reps in right field, but still he would most likely not be a starter unless there's an injury or two. So even though he looks like he might be in the bullpen, I think Spencer Strider looks like the real deal. Until someone else shows me something different, it's hard to vote against Spencer Strider. The sample size is so small that it's hard to know for sure, but that fastball slider combo is fantastic. All right, let's look at projections of wins and things like that, just an overall projection of the season. Just like last year, the National League East is primed to eat each other alive. I preached it all year last year that just because the teams did not have a ton of wins did not mean that they were not good. That is the story for another day. We can dig into it. We talked about it last year. But don't expect any of the National League East teams to have 100 or more wins. Not with the Phillies, Mets, and the Braves all eating each other alive. Not to mention, the Marlins have a very solid pitching rotation and are not as bad as some non-National League East fans like to claim they are. Now, the Nationals, yeah, they're pretty bad. With that being said, it will be possible to win this division with like 90-ish wins. My projections are that the Braves will win the East again with a 92-70 and 70 record. I was right on the mark in 2020, I said that they would win the exact amount of wins they did, and I was off by one win last year in 2021. However, to my credit, the Braves only played 161 games, and so they could have won the right amount of games had they played that game. Although they probably would have rested a bunch of players because the reason they didn't play 162 games is because they didn't need to play 162 games. So my official pick this year is 92 wins. Let's see how close I am. If this continues, I need to start going to Vegas. <laughs> Anyways, there's not been a repeat World Series winner since the Yankees won three in a row from 1998 to the year 2000. And there have been 16 unique champions in the past 21 years. And what I mean by that is 16 different franchises has won the World Series in the past 21 years. So for me to say anything but a repeat as a failure would just be pretentious here. As good as this roster looks, the odds of the Braves winning a repeat World Series are extremely slim, so I'm not going to give false hope to anyone and say, yeah, the Braves are going to win a, the World Series a second year in a row. I mean, we've seen teams that were supposed to be dynasties not be able to pull that off. Just It's just the way that the game is now with analytics and everything in place. However, I will predict that the Braves do make it back to the World Series, especially if Brian Snicker continues to use his analytics team when it comes to using his bullpen and creating his lineups to face 
certain pitchers. We saw that happen finally in the past playoffs when he got later in the postseason especially, and it paid huge dividends. So if Brian Snicker continues to do that, I do believe with the bullpen that the Braves have, the offense that they have, just having the three top-end starters will do just fine in the playoffs. It's really the regular season where you need a number four, number five, number six starter. So if they make it to the playoffs, they're top-heavy enough in the rotation, they've got one of the best bullpens in the league, and you can't argue that this offense is scary. It will depend a lot on injuries, though, and how the trade deadline is handled. I firmly believe the Braves need one more top-tier starter to become World Series favorites. And what I mean by that is we talked about Ian Anderson as a number three guy. He's good, and he's good in the playoffs, but his peripherals scare me. So if the Braves could make a big splash and add a number like top-tier starter, they'd definitely be a favorite at that point, I do believe. The Dodgers also need a starter or two, and we don't know if Bauer is coming back or not. So, to be fair, the Dodgers are the, are the favorite right now, and they are kind of shorthanded in the rotation. I also predict that Ronald Acuna, if he can remain healthy after coming back in early May, will be a top three, and this is my bold prediction, will be a top three in wins above replacement for position players, yet won't be a top three in the MVP voting because voters will still vote too heavily on offensive rate stats like batting average and things like that and forget about defensive metrics, base running, and overall game because that's how MVP voters have been voting. They're still looking at the old school numbers and not looking at overall game. So I do think Ronald Acuna is going to be a top three player this year. And remember, wins above replacement is an accumulative stat. So if he can stay healthy, I do believe even coming back a month late, he'll be a top three player in wins above replacement in the National League, but will not be in the top three voting for the MVP. As much as I want him to, I just don't see it happening with the way the voters have been voting and him missing a month. All right, that's this week's episode. I know you all are just as excited as me that baseball, or Major League Baseball, is finally back. Lockout is done. We're starting the season. It's go time. Time for the Braves to defend their title, and man, does it feel great to say that. Don't forget to like and subscribe. Give five stars wherever you get your podcast. You can find us on Facebook, on the page, or the Braves podcast. You can also find the show on Twitter at BraveStagoutPod or my Twitter at Sports. We have a website. We have all that stuff. You can find it in the show notes. Thank you so much for spending time out of your day listening to me ramble about the Braves again. Until next time, as always, go Braves.